Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 22nd of September 2010. Now I always advise the newcomers to look into the site cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you'll find lots of talks I've put up there in the past where you can download them for free. And I give you, hopefully, the shortcuts to understanding the big system in which you live, an ongoing system, a system which is really an agenda implemented uh, in parts in your lifetime with a a definite goal. Many goals, actually, that will go on for an awful long time, long after you're gone, as it has gone on since your parents went, or grandparents, or great-grandparents. This is a, a world agenda for a planned society, run by those who think that they're really the elites who have the right to dominate and remake the world, you know, fix all the things that were left imperfect, as as they say, that's what their job is, to remake all the things and rebuild all that that was left imperfect, including man himself. And these are the guys who decided a long time ago, they wrote about it too in the 1700s, about destroying the nations and creating a federation of world states, but what they didn't tell you at the time, because they didn't have the term for it then, was it would be, be a form of Soviet, a new Soviet that came later with one other lineage, Mr. Lenin, and you ended up with the new Soviet. That's what this is today. It's the Sovietization of the world with the collusion of the big international bankers. There was never a fight between communism and capitalism as such. It was simply a matter of getting the world on its knees under the threat of obliteration, to get the agenda through. And they signed treaty after treaty with their supposed enemies all through the Cold War to bring this about. That was also part of the excuse for uniting the whole of Europe under a single government. Uh, Then they could basically stand up to Russia. That was also the guise of it. So we're ongoing, as they say. Now go into the site and you'll also find I have books for sale, discs for sale, and so on. That helps me just tick by. It's very expensive doing what I'm doing. From the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can purchase them by a personal check. You can also use an international postal money order. You can use cash. You can use PayPal for donations or to purchase. If you want to purchase, send a separate email after the PayPal, and I'll put a name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you as fast as I can. And remember, too, that donations are appreciated. It's not often donations really come in as such. It's generally to purchase something, but you can also just donate as well. So don't charge you for anything on the site, all this information. Now, most of the hosts get their money by by having um, the advertisers pay them to come on as guests and so on, or push them or plug them. And I don't do that. I don't have to do that. But the ads you hear on this show are paid by advertisers directly to RBN to, to uh, air this particular program and broadcast it. It pays for their bills and staff and equipment. So help me with mine. And that way, too, you won't get scared out of your skin and then offered solutions either. I'm less compromised in that way, too. 
gives me a freer scope to say what I want to say. But you are living in a, a big planned agenda, and it's well documented for those who really want to understand it. But believe you me, I was asked this today, um, is it worthwhile going into spending your lifetime really researching for more and more evidence of it? How much evidence do you really need to find what's going on? They're quite blatant where we're being taken today. The big boys themselves, with their international meetings, publish stuff all the time. Uh, look at the United Nations websites if you want to know what's happening. Look at all the organizations your leaders, your, your supposed elected leaders belong to internationally. And read the speeches I've given internationally. I'll tell you all that's going to happen shortly back after these messages. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix. As I say, the system is ongoing, and a long, long time ago, authors even, uh, who attended world meetings, who wrote novels, uh, apart from the non-fictional books as well, they churned out, and big families, well-known families like the Huxleys, they go all the way back to Charles Darwin's days. In fact, they're all related to each other, in fact. And Sir Thomas Huxley was the, the man, the grandfather of Aldo and Julian, Julian became the first CEO of UNESCO and had some wonderful things to say about how they'd train children for the future. And um, you find that Aldous as well uh, wrote his book Brave New World, a classic uh, that, that really had all the stuff they discussed at the top for goodness knows how many years. And he published that in 1933, I believe it was, about genetic modification, uh, the tranquilizing of the people, all of that kind of stuff was put into it because it was all discussed long ago. The reality that you're given is always 50 years or 100 years too late, including the science they pretend to churn out that they're just working on now and one day they hope to do this and that and so on. Generally, when that's put up to the public, it was done long ago. That keeps you in a fake reality, and it also allows those who are in positions of power to maintain that power because we're all living technically, and I mean technically in the past. So here's a guy, as I say, with Brave New World and Brave New World Revisited and lots of interviews up on Google even with Mike Wallace and others, Aldous Huxley, talking about literally the doing away with uh, mating for offspring was one big thing. And uh, the future children that he talked about would eventually, eventually be basically um, hybrids, specially born uh, and, and what we now call test tubes or artificial wombs, that's to come. They've already done it, I'm sure, uh, probably some time ago. But he talked about this and keeping the public kind of happy with a drug called Soma as an example. Soma as an example. Now, here's an article here as they go further forward with all of this. They've already drugged the children, remember, and no one's really objected very much about it, uh, taking them at school and some generally young boys who ask too many questions because they've got uh, minds that are very inquisitive and won't sit still, um, are put on these drugs to, to calm them down. A strange thing, too, putting them on amphetamines to calm them down. However, what it does is shrink the brain, and they do admit that at the top. 
but they claim that uh, it's worth it, really, to have a quiet classroom where the boys sit very docile like the girls. Boys are not girls, and they know that too. And schools today are maternalistic. They're run uh, in a matronly fashion. doesn't cater to men. Now, or create them either. And now here's an article here. How a tiny dose of Prozac may help relieve the misery of PMS. This is the 18th of September. Tiny amounts of Prozac could end the monthly misery of PMT for millions of women and their partners. They have partners these days, scientists believe. Again, those, that experts that Huxley talked about and, and um, Bertrand Russell talked about, training the public to listen to experts only. Don't think for yourself. You're, you're too dumb. You're too lowly on the totem pole to think for yourself. Listen to the word scientist and expert, you see. So here you, you get this with almost all the, the things you put out now for media and their partners, scientists believe. So that's your, that's the, that's the way it formats that gives you your first initial impression for the rest of the story. In studies, the happy pills banish the, the mood swings, uh, bloating, lethargy and pain that blights the lives of up to three quarters of women in the run up to their period. The doses given were around a tenth of that used to treat depression, and so it should be free of the side effects that have dogged the, the drugs used in psychiatry, like suicide and, you know, women turning around and killing their children, stuff like that. Preliminary experiments have had dramatic results. <laughs> I love this. Who's funding this group, eh? Birmingham University. They, they live on grants. They churn this stuff out, eh? Preliminary experiments have had dramatic results, and researchers at Burning University believe low-dose Prozac could be routinely used to prevent PMT, or what scientists call premenstrual syndrome, or the scientists call it premenstrual syndrome. That's a big term, eh? Within two years. And here we go now. We don't have psychology and so on. We have neuroscientists. That's your brain. You know, the ones that are working on your brain, controlling society with the behaviorists. Neuroscientist Thelma Lovick said, A lot of women experience PMS and a lot of men are on the receiving end. I can't say we are going to cure everyone, but taken in conjunction with sensible lifestyle changes, we are in a chance. We, we are in with a chance. Dr. Lovick pinned the symptoms on the sharp fallen levels of the sex hormone progesterone that occurred during the week before a woman menstruates. menstruates. Normally a waste product of progesterone called allopro Nanalone, it's called, or aloe for short, which is, makes a lot of sense, aloe, keeps um, a lid on brain circuits involved in controlling emotions. When progesterone levels fall, amounts of aloe also fall, and emotions run riot. With Prozac known to raise levels of aloe, Dr. Lovick decided to see if it would ease the condition in rats. That was test on rats, then it's us. I guess we're in the same category. Very small doses completely prevented the anxiety and increased sensitivity to pain the creatures normally experienced. Dr. Lovick told the British Science Festival it completely blocked the symptoms. We were amazed. I guess we got another grant for saying that, you know. The time is right. Now, here you go. The time is right for a controlled clinical trial in women. The solution for PMS could be as simple as taking a pill for a few days towards the end of your menstrual cycle. It's likely women would take a pill at the first sign of PMT and take one each day for the following week. As it's used along lifestyle changes such as controlling stress and cutting out sugary foods, it could have a major impact on millions. So there you go. You've got therapeutic Prozac, supposedly. And you know darn well if it's taken for a few days, it's going to end up getting taken for the, the whole month and the whole year. Uh, that's really the whole 
the whole agenda right there, you know. So there is a scientist, those special people who know how we should behave and what we should do and they tell us what to do. Kind of like the weather people now that tell you how to dress for the day. It's going to rain, wear something waterproof, that kind of stuff. Because we can't think for ourselves, poor old dumb folk that we are. Now the Wise Up Journal also had that article from the Mail, I think it was, in it. But it goes on to something else. And this came out on the 8th of the 8th, 2004. It says, Prozac found in drinking water. Traces of the antidepressant Prozac can be found in the national drinking water. It has been revealed. Now, they said they'd put it in the water. I mean, guys like uh, Arthur Kessler worked at the United Nations for a while with other specialists, you know. And he wrote a book called Ghost of the Machine. He said they were working on ways to keep the public happy and quiet and so on for world peace. And everything from lobotomy, physical lobotomy, to chemical lobotomy was discussed. And they discussed ways of putting in the drinking water and your food by inoculation, all means possible, because they said it has to happen for world peace. Now, world peace means to the communists, the Trotskyites, it means absence of all opposition to, to those who want to plan society and plan how you behave and act and speak about and all that kind of stuff. So here's Prozac in the drinking water. And it was dropped like a hot potato once it was revealed after this article. It says here, the newspaper says environmentalists are calling for an urgent investigation into the evidence. Why do you need environmentalists? Huh? I mean, shouldn't the public, I mean, do we really have a group for everything that's used for our own common sense? The liberal de- never ever, ever dissect the garbage that they churn out in mainstream. See, it's all conditioning garbage to condition you. This is a Liberal Democrats environment spokesman, Norman Baker, member of parliament, is saying the picture emerging looked like a case of hidden mass medication upon the unsuspecting public. Well, see, we need a politician to tell us that, eh? an expert. He says, it's alarming that there's no monitoring levels of Prozac and other pharmacy residues in the drinking water. Well, this wasn't a residue. Experts, here we go, experts, experts say the antidepressant drug gets into the rivers and water systems via treated sewage water. And they're also talking to about estrogen and everything that's supposed to get meeting the guys at Feminine. It's not the food, of course. It's not the, the, the bisphenol A's and so on that's in the plastics and all the rest of it, no. It says, in the decade leading up to 2001, the number of prescriptions for antidepressants went up from 9 million per year to 24 million per year, says the paper. No kidding. That's when the economy plummeted, and it's worse now, of course. The Environment Agency report concluded, I guess that's the answer to the to bad, you know, economic depressions, is to take Prozac. I guess that's what they're saying. That the Environment Agency report concluded that the Prozac in the water table could be potentially toxic, and said the drug was a, a potential concern, a potential concern. <laughs> You're getting drugged, but it's a potential concern. And the exact amount of Prozac in the national drinking water is not known. Well, that was in 2004. When other government employees say they'll take up the case and pressure for an urgent investigation, the public sit back and relax, thinking it's being handled you know, by the guys that should be handling it. The technique's so good that major corporations have been caught setting up financing and running opposition groups to their new products or goals for the same reasons. And I'll put this one up too. These, now, these articles, I put links up at cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the show. 
and you can look them up yourself and copy and save them for future use because one day all this, all this stuff goes down the memory hole with the internet. It's here one day gone tomorrow and that's exactly what George Orwell was talking about in 1984, the book. So we're getting drugged just as the agenda said would happen and no one seems to mind so much. I guess it's because we're drugged, we're okay enough, you know. We're not reacting to prices skyrocketing, we're not reacting to very much at all. The guys are watching their sports, the women are watching their their their, their um, soap operas, and uh, the children are stuck glaring at the internet, and everything's hunky-dory. So we're in that world already. Quite something, eh? Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the Matrix. You know, Huxley and Russell and all the big boys that wrote back in the the early 20th century, right through the 20th century, some of them, they, they talked about this world to come and of course the depopulation agenda and how they would eventually, eventually arrive at the place where you'd have to get permission uh, to to mate with someone for offspring, and even then it wouldn't happen unless the genes were compatible. What they meant by that was they wanted to be positive, pretty as positive as, as they could be through genetic uh, inquiry, uh, that that offspring would be the desirable type uh, that could be ruled efficiently by the, their betters, basically. But they didn't want general children in general just around. They they knew that we're bringing the world into a post-industrial era. They knew they were setting up China, and they would set up China to be the manufacturer for the planet as early as 1930. And when they said that, and wrote it in their books too, China was still a third world country. They could hardly make a pot and pan, for God's sake. So we're living through the scripts. So what we're going to do with all the people, all the people uh, that were displaced from factories in the West, what were they going to do with them? Gradually bring down the population, discourage marriage, discourage having children, put as many obstacles in the way to even having children that no one would do it. And that's pretty well been achieved for many people in the Western world. Australia even, I, want to, I don't think they put the tax through, a carbon tax for bringing more children into the world. Now here's another, see there's so many ways to achieve an objective, but because people can't tie them together, they don't see the agenda. It's like, it's like the Millennium Project from the United Nations. It is exactly the same as the United Nations Agenda 21 and sustainable development and all of this kind of stuff. Now here's an article here to help discourage people having children again. Major health insurers to stop offering new child-only policies in the U.S. September the 20th, it says, Some of the country's most prominent health insurance companies have decided to stop offering new child-only plans rather than comply with rules in the new health care law that will require such plans to start accepting children with pre-existing medical conditions after September the 23rd. 
The companies will continue to cover children who already have child-only policies. They will also accept children with pre-existing conditions and new family policies. Nonetheless, supporters of the new health care law complain that the change amounts to an end run around one of the most prized consumer protections. We're just eight days away from a new era when insurance companies must stop denying coverage to children just because they're sick, and now some of the biggest uh, have changed their minds. Ethan Rome, Executive Director of Healthcare for America Now, an advocacy group, said in a statement, It's immoral and to blame their appalling behavior on the new law is patently dishonest. Well, I don't know if it really is or not. I think it all worked together as far as all the, all these people with their oppositions to this and that all worked together for the big boys. That's the dialectic process. Out of that comes the, the, the new synthesis, you see. And that becomes the thesis for the next part. That's how it's always been done. That's where they went over and over and over in communism, uh, the whole technique of um, of the dialectic. And we know that all those groups that supposedly speak for the general public, the general public would never have thought of even starting them up. So who does start them up and who funds them? Well, they're funded by the big foundations, which comprise the parallel government, which work with the United Nations. And the, they have trillions of dollars to spend every year on their non-governmental organizations that we eventually start thinking are like part of the government or something, even though they're classified as charitable organizations. But they speak out in your interest, you see, supposedly. You don't vote them in, and government always listens to them, although government doesn't listen to you. What a nice arrangement, eh? Isn't that wonderful? But... Things roll on. It's so wonderful, again, to, to, to watch the system come in, collapse what's left of the economy on cue. Because remember, uh, the whole bubble system has been here for many, many, many years before they burst the bubble and called a crash. And, of course, the banks didn't lose out. That was part of the deal before they collapsed it. Um, but the whole idea was to get us used to paying massive taxes. Uh, eternal debt was to be stuck in our minds, so we just do what we're told and bring in the new system. And then eventually, after a few years, they'll bring in another system, a world system, because the IMF is supposed to come up to its top uh, place that it was created to be in and uh, rule as basically financially across the whole globe and do the books for every state, as they call it. They don't have countries up to the United Nations, only have states. And the World Bank will basically be the guys to do all the loaning out to these little states, no matter how small they are or large they are. Now, here's an article here. It says, millions to become mortgage prisoners under new loan rules, warns lending boss. 22nd of September, millions of homeowners will become mortgage prisoners if the controversial introduction of new loan rules goes ahead next year, the experts have warned. Here we have experts again, you see. The Council of Mortgage Lenders slammed the proposals from the Financial Services Authority as fatally flawed. Under the new rules, radical changes will be made to who can get a mortgage, how much they can borrow, and what type of mortgage they can take out. But Michael Coogan, Director General of the CML, used a keynote speech today to dismiss the rules as a total disaster. It will trigger a sharp rise in negative equity, interest-only mortgages will disappear, and leave young people unable to buy a home until their late 30s or even later, he said. Now, what's Agenda 21? Eventually, no private property, folks. Back with more after these messages.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix. In this article I was reading there, it also says this. It says, and it says, um, in a bleak assessment of the future, uh, this particular expert that did this report and so on, I think Michael Coogan, he said that uh, the golden age of home ownership is over for the moment, he says, but that's pretty well permanent because this is, uh, this is the agenda. It'll be rental only. And again, Russell talked about that back in the 1940s and printed it in some of his books. Now, there's there's a caller there from San Francisco. It's Grayson. Are you there, Grayson? Yeah, Alan. Hello. I got a hi there. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, I gotta I gotta tell everybody they should read your cutting through volume one, two, and three, but also they should read the books you talk about. I just finished reading the impact of science on society by Russell. Yeah. And man, I'm telling you, you're hitting everything right on. <laughs> yeah. And I started reading the. Um, um, it's. I think it's important that people. You you're you're telling us and giving giving us information, but they should also read what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Because what you're talking about, I I went back. I remember when I was in college, I was reading Plato's Republic, but I didn't really get it. Yeah. And then I went back after I'd, uh, a friend of mine turned me on to you when I was in Berlin last year. And uh, he said, damn, man, you should listen to this guy. So I said, well, maybe I should go back and read Plato's Republic. Maybe I should read Bertrand Russell again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, the one thing that was really interesting, too, um, that uh, Tragedy and Hope by Quigley. Yeah. It's a very dense book. You were mentioning how... Um, tedious and boring this stuff is that they write about, but I'll tell you if you don't read it you're, yep. they're telling you what they're going to do They spill it out all for you and amongst all the dry stuff they actually, they're actually telling you how they're doing it step by step, how they will introduce this part and so on, and sometimes even how long it will take, how many generations it will take to get to a particular part of an agenda Yeah, It's amazing, I mean I was you know, well uh you know, growing up and going to the schooling here in the United States, and I was always like a little outside of it. It was really funny one night. I remember you talking about how you you feel like you're not in it, and everybody else seems like they're walking in lockstep or something. Mm-hmm. And I always kind of felt that way, but I wasn't sure what was going on. And then, you know, I read a little bit. My parents were pretty cool people, so they encouraged me to question things and read more and you know but no what you're saying everything you're saying man if if people don't read these books you're talking about and what these people are saying as well as your material too which i think is a good good place for people to start if they don't really get it and then branch out into the um the russell stuff and go back and read plato's republic again you know and uh if you haven't read it in a while and well, what do you think of, of politics now and voting for this one and that one and so on? How, is, how has it changed you? Man, that is, like, totally bogus. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. have to tell you something, though. When I was younger, 
when I was like 23 or so, I was, um, uh, well, I live in the city, you know, in San Francisco, and I was over at a party over in uh, Marin County, and there was a bunch of Black Panther people over there at, uh, this was in the 60s, of course, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I was talking to this young woman, and I was saying, there's never going to be any freedom until people get rid of the TV. <laughs> yeah. And and then I had one of the young cats approach me and go like, well, brother, you just don't understand what's going on. I go, well, uh, maybe I don't. So I think I'll go back in and get another drink. But, yeah. you know, you just can't. I mean, people I really love that are close to me, I can't even talk about this stuff. No. You know, me and my brother, because we both were in Vietnam, so we were, like, looking at things from a different perspective anyhow. Yeah. Some people. And they can't, they can't, because you have gone so far beyond them, you're still living in their their conditioned reality. And what's astounding, too, is they keep voting, and they have no idea and and no, no interest, really, uh, and the articles that are churned out from the United Nations where their leaders are signing more and more rights over to the United Nations every year, and they have been for 50 years. Yeah, It's, a, it's like this constant movement toward that uh, uh, one mind, one rule. <laughs> That's correct, yeah. And guess what? Uh, they make the rules, which is the bad part, Yeah, because it just leaves the rest of us on. I, I try to, uh, you know, I started reading your stuff. Like I said, I got turned on to you when I was in Germany last year, a friend of mine, and uh, I, I, you know, I read your material, and I'm looking forward to getting some more, you know, because yeah. I want to read more about it. But I did take you up on what you said about reading the people who is, I, you know, it was really funny, Alan. Though I went to the main library in San Francisco, and they had. Um, they had a copy of the impact of science and society, but you couldn't take it out. Ah, uh, yep. Mm-hmm. Now, did this? I had to get it from USF, which is a, I think it's a Jesuit university. Yeah. But they had a copy I could get through the library <laughs> system, so I was able to read it. And I'm going like, wait a minute, hold up, just a minute. Uh, I can't get it here at the library, the yeah. main library. I have to go through this system. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to give it to me. It just this blew me away. I just couldn't understand that. That's right. And also, too, for the big boys who took part in the global structure and setting it up and uh, who participated in laying the foundations and the direction of the agenda, like Russell, um, they have foundations just for those guys. And those foundations sell other books, and some of them uh, are brand new. You know, they haven't been, they've been published by the millions, no doubt, but they. Some of them cost $1,000, $2,000 to get a, a thin paperback copy because they, they don't want the general public reading some of the other stuff that they wrote. I know, I know. Yeah. Well, you know, the the thing that, like I said, that really hit me after I started listening was like, you you always go to the source, right? <laughs> yeah. So if if these people are sitting around talking about, well, in the perfect uh, scientific society, that's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And they're definitely writing about it. I, I, you know, I went I went back and looked at um, because one night you had mentioned that H.G. Um, Wells uh, movie they made, um, uh, Things to Come. Yeah. So I I went to the library, I checked it out, and I looked at it, and I go like, Oh, there's the gas. Mm-hmm. You know, because they have the gas scene in there. Yeah. They gas everybody, <laughs> and I'm going like, eh, Alan was right. <laughs> 
Yeah, they, they called it the peace gas, they called it. They sprayed it from the air. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yes, it was strange. Anyhow, thank you very much, and I appreciate your work, and um, I'll hopefully uh, be talking to you again. Uh, thanks for calling. Yeah, that is the real the real world we live in. It's um, vastly different from the one that's portrayed by the media. Media's job is to keep, keep you living in a fake now, really, and, and never tying the, the different things together for you and saying, by the way, this is, for instance, this last article, that's part of Agenda 21, where you live in your little sustainable communities and will have no private property. That way they can punish you, you see, by withholding your credits from the government, which, by the way, they're going to do. Announced the other day there that Britain, uh, they've announced from Britain that all people's wages will eventually go through government, starting very shortly. And they'll, they'll dish out what's left after they take out their, their, their so-called share and give it back to you. Well, they'll withhold your money and you can't get rent and money and you can't get your money for groceries and so on. And they'll punish you for two or three months for being a bad boy or girl. Russell talked about that too back in the 1950s in his books. So we're living through an agenda, folks. This guy was not a genius. Russell never claimed to have any psychic abilities didn't believe in all that stuff. He believed in pure science and making agendas because when you make an agenda and you have the, the power and money and the committees and foundations to work it through, then it will happen. There's nothing to stop it. Unlimited financing. Quite quite easy, isn't it? And then you go into articles like this one or two. Um, it's Van Rompuy, who's now the head of this whole new Soviet bloc that they call the EU, the European Union. And I'll put this up because it's about really their, their new economic system as it take over the economies of all the countries under them now and start to work out all their financing for all those countries. They want total control over everybody's books and so on, import, exports, and you name it, all of the legalities. Is it? was set up to do it in the first place. And here's another article here, and you should really do a search for this, and you'll find it at the U.S. Gov, you know, the thing is .gov, but it's Commonwealth Living in the USA. And it goes into, uh, the short title is, uh, is I think, is um, a, the bill. This is a bill to establish the Office of Sustainable Housing and Communities to establish the Interagency Council on Sustainable Communities and States, that is U.S., to establish a comprehensive planning grant program, to establish a sustainability challenge grant program, and for other purposes. And uh, this, it's actually uh, the S-1619 bill, S-1619, the 111th Congress first session. And it was first introduced, first introduced on August 6, 2009. It's coming up now, apparently. And they may even change the name of it to try, uh, now that so many people have managed to get a hold of the idea behind it. But it's to do with the Agenda 21, sustainable uh, communities in the U.S., the knocking down of all the, the those nasty suburbs, those sprawls, urban sprawls, as they call them, and having you all squeezed inside. It says the Congress finds the following. Demographic trends support the need for cooperation in land use planning, and the development of housing and of transportation. Very important, because eventually, remember, there's no private uh, cars or vehicles to be allowed uh, under Agenda 21. 
the population of the United States will grow from approximately 307 million people to approximately 439 million people during the period between 2009 and 2050, an increase of more than 40%. That means it's an increase because of mass immigration, folks, because the, the domestic population is declining, and they admit that by the, in the same report. The demographic groups that are most likely to use public transportation are the groups that are projected to increase in size the most during the period between 2009 and 2025. Public transportation, you see, is a do-away with private vehicle ownership. Then it says, by 2025, nearly one in every five people in the U.S. will be 65 years of age or older. And during the period between 1980 and 2000, the growth of the largest 99 metropolitan areas in the continental U.S. consumed 16 million acres of rural land, or about one acre for every new household. Well, why are they letting in immigration in, if that's what's going to happen? Hmm? Well, they let immigration in because, you see, they say you've got such a massive national debt you can't pay it off. And you're not having children now, so they've got to bring them in. Same as excuses they used in Britain, which is... Technically finished now. Finished. It's a mess. Completely dysfunctional. Destroyed. So I'll put this link up as well. And you can go through this long bill yourself if you've got the time and the inclination and the patience and you'll see what else is buried within it because it's worth a read. It's the only way you'll know what's going on. As I say, if you spend a few lifetimes knowing what's going on, the problem is always what on earth do you do about it because we're all in the system. They have given us no alternative but to be in the system. There's the big challenge. Now, I've read a little part about how they churn out the future leaders for, the, for, for countries. And Oxford, of course, was the beginning of uh, the Council on Foreign Relations that came out of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which came out of the Milner Group, the bankers who decided to put this world system together, with Lord Rothschild, Cecil Rhodes, Lord Milner, and so on. And they eventually changed their names into the CFR and the Royal Institute of International Affairs. And the higher members are lifelong members that do the world's uh, work, and they belong to uh, inside Oxford. It's called All Souls College. Carl Quigley also talked about that in his book, Tragedy and Hope, and the Anglo-American Establishment. It says, New Oxford School of Governance. Governance, you see, you don't have governments anymore in a world society. Everything, every facet of civilization and living is under a different governance, a specialized governance, which you don't elect. So the New Oxford School of Governance will groom future world leaders. World leaders, Right. Uh, it says the Blavatnik School would teach the skills and responsibilities of government and how to deal with complex problems. This is the 20th September. This is um, many UK prime ministers and world leaders have studied in Oxford, but until now the university has no school dedicated to governance. Governance. So it's, it's educated 26 British prime ministers, and it will today unveil plans for a new school of government dedicated to grooming future world leaders. The school is funded by, guess what, a £75 million gift. Boy, there you go, a philanthropy again, from a U.S. philanthropist. Is that Mr. Rockefeller, who is one of his cousins? Will train graduates from around the world in the skills and responsibilities of government. What they mean is, it's the new global governance system, folks. 
That's where they're training the heads of them from all over the world. And uh, they're quite blatant about it for those that want to think. You can figure it all out yourselves. And what do you, what do they do with these guys who help bring in the world society, dis- demolish the old societies as they said they would? Um, the Fabians, for instance, that are part of this Royal Institute of International Affairs, Fabians like Gordon Brown, the Prime Minister who was Chancellor for a long time in Britain, wrecked the economy and then became Prime Minister and sold it all out into the world system totally at the end by signing agreement after agreement. Until Britain as a country no longer exists, it just has been sold off piecemeal. And uh, they have now parliamentary leaders in the European Union. You just wasn't having in Timbuktu for all the, the good they'll do you. So here, here's an interesting little, you know, PR piece about Gordon Brown. It says, it says, serve as a Harvard visiting fellow. I don't know if most Americans know he's been sent over to the U.S. because he's going to be the U.S.'s representative to the World Bank. I wonder if you know that. And the IMF for the U.S. That's his reward for wrecking Britain. You see, now he's over to wreck, help wreck. He knows how to do it faster, you see, than, than, than the guys that they're getting, they've got in the States. So, so Gordon Brown has been appointed as a visiting fellow at the prestigious American University of Harvard as well, you see. It has been announced. Isn't that impressive, eh? It says, the former prime minister will kick off his fellowship with a formal address to students at the Institute of Politics at the Boston University. He's also expected to hold a series of discussion groups on topical issues and has experiences in public and political service and participate in public policy classes with faculty and students. Uh, That's all for the Fabian Society, so they'll help wreck totally what's left of America. Yep. I don't know if you've ever looked at the Fabian Society. You must look into its foundations, how it started, the members that it, that helped start it up. In the Soviet story, an excellent video you've got to see, stuff they've never published until it was made to the general public. In the video, they show you a little clip of George Bernard Shaw, who was promoted up there as a top novelist and, and non-fiction writer as well. And he says right on it, when we, when we control the world, he says you, meaning that you little minions down there, will have to come to us to justify why we should keep you alive. And you thought the Nazis dreamed up their philosophy by themselves? No, it started off in London, folks. That beautiful Shaw also wanted to, scientists to get together to devise a gas where they could simply gas people and kill them humanely. And the Nazis got blamed for that too. And Shaw is a hero too, not as a novelist. Back with more after this break. Fabian Society. Folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. The matrix is the system in which you're born. It's pre-made for you to fit into. And everything that they decide at the top, you need to know, you will be taught to know and know more. Of course, it's never a reality. It's what makes you easily governed, makes you work, pay taxes, and do whatever you're told to do, behave the way you're told to behave, dress the way you're you're told to dress, and buy the things you're told to buy and give us little problems possible to governments that rule you. 
That's the idea behind it. It's a form of mind control, and of course they discussed this again back at the beginning of the 20th century and before. <laughs> anyway, how government really works is by fear, using fear. Governments all down through the ages, even when it was kings and queens, always had their advisors stirring up trouble, claiming that foreigners were going to invade you and so on. They needed massive armies and more money from the people to protect them, keeping you safe. This would be the oldest trick in the book. And, of course, uh, terrorism is the best one of all because, I mean, it's, it's, not a, it's not really a people, it's not a place. It's really a form of emotion being in a state of terror, you see. So if it's the bill, it can go into everything. Everything at all, they can expand it into every area of human existence and go into terror, you see, it fits in. But the idea is to train you now by, again, experts, uh, that uh, you're, you'll have, you, there's just nothing safe enough. Now they're bone scanning you for ID as well. Uh, they're x-raying you for ID. They're doing iris scans and everything else. DNA scans is coming, of course, it already is in some countries for DNA. And they're, they're training you now that uh, they're going to scan your brain waves as well. Because, you see, they might catch the occasional crook. This is it. And you, and you all want to be safe from criminals, don't you? So this article here is recycled. It's been recycled about 15 times, maybe 50 times in the past year to get it through your heads. It's called predictive programming. And you will think this is inevitable when it comes along. You say, well, you know, you haven't really thought it through, but it's awfully familiar to you. And you say, okay, I guess you can scan my brain. Well, it says, it says, a new study suggests criminals can be de- detected by measuring a brainwave known as P300. Are you impressed? P300, eh? And tests that worked remarkably well, but can we really trust it? And it's, here it is. We've got, we've got neuroscience and all kind of varieties, neuroeconomists. Now we've got neurophilosophists. Ooh. It says, um, it says, terrorists could be identified by a brave wave test that detects concealed information about an imminent attack, according to a study by psychologists from Northwestern University in Chicago. The test, a sophisticated version of the now discredited polygraph. <laughs> so it's, it's a, a more sophisticated form of a total failure. <laughs> you see, because all spies and anyone who, who wants to can learn how to cheat it. It's quite easy. It's based on the so-called guilty knowledge test developed in the 1950s, whereas the traditional lie detector test, well, why do they have to beat the crap out of all, all, the, all the suspects they get and claim that they're terrorists, eh? How, why do they have to, you know, wire up their testicles and electric shock them and waterboard them? If they've got something as fantastic as this, eh? Invented in the 1950s. No, the see, see, schmucks, this is for you out there to get through your head that you're going to get scanned every so often, you see? To make sure that you have no nasty thoughts, that you have no, no, no angry thoughts are getting stopped and, and when they demand that you take this little test in the street or wherever it happens to be, you see? That's what it's for. Do you understand what you read half the time? I wonder. Well, from Hamish and myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods, and at least your brain, may it go with you.